And everyone, let's turn together to the third letter of John. The third letter of John, and let's continue to discuss and unpack these things as they unfold. And let's not forget that the pulpit is a sounding board. The pulpit is a teaching place. The pulpit is an announcement platform. The pulpit is a corrective pedestal. The pulpit is a place of humility and wonder and awe. And of course those are all you know, metaphors, but the reality is that the teaching to the church <coughs> from the Word of God is to be our center. It is to be that which we look for so that we may live accordingly. We may live accordingly, and sometimes when I say those words, I get pushback. I really do, not from you all as much as I do from the world at large. But I get pushback. We go, oh, you're trying to tell us how we ought to live. You're, you're teaching us works. Of course I'm teaching you works, and I'm teaching us how to live, because that's what the Word of God does. These works have no guarantee of anything. These works have no power to say. These works and these things that we're called to do are not effectual before the Father to say, look a there. You're just doing so good. I'm just going to let you on into heaven. This, I mean, this is not, we, don't, we know the gospel. We know what Christ has accomplished. We know that the atonement is effectual. We know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God eternally, came to the earth, made himself a body, lived fully and wholly and truly as a human being, while never ceasing to also be God. Yet the human nature and the divine person of Jesus never became intertwined as this one mega man. He had two natures. While on this earth, he had a human will, he had a human body, and he today has two natures in the context of his humanity, glorified, but also now is fully operating and without any restraints in the context of his divine being, his essence. And these are, wow, this my, we're not supposed to pick all that apart right now. It's just not a seminary class, and this is not systematic theology. Yet we find that people push back on some of these things. Well, that's the reason John wrote these letters. The people already knew the gospel. The people already understood the truth. The people that these apostles wrote to were established in the truth already. And these men wrote by the Spirit of God to reinforce this truth, to remind the body for the truth, and then to get to the therefores. The point of the writing is to get to the therefores. Because Christ saved us by grace, therefore walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Therefore, love one another as I have loved you. Therefore, put the brother out who is not loving. Therefore, correct those with gentleness and all patient who are straying from the truth. Why? Because these are the promises of God that if we follow these precepts as God's elect, as the regenerate family of Christ, then God has promised through the word that if we do these things, and only if we do these things, will he bring restoration to us. You know the reason that so many people never have their prayers answered? Because they don't pray. So many reasons people don't reconcile relationships is because they don't do it. The reason so many people don't live in joy is because they walk around in pride. And beloved, we've, we have to listen to the get-tos and the therefores of the text. And we don't need to find some, some magical, mystical undercurrent of Christological theology underneath every word. We don't need to find a, a, a hidden message in the Bible. There's no such thing as a hidden message in the Bible. For the Spirit of God to plainly teach us very clearly what is being said that anyone can understand in its grammar or syntax, but only those who have been saved by grace, only those who have been born by the Spirit of God, can actually understand the difference between these imperatives and these indicatives. Only the Spirit of God can give us the rest to hope and to sit still and to not work ourselves to the bone for our salvation and for the sake of trying to 
appease God. As Brother prayed already, Christ is the appeasement of God's wrath. Christ is the fulfillment of God's justice. Beloved, we are set apart in Christ. We are holy this very moment. And we are not going to be any more set apart in Christ a thousand years from now. But in the time in which God has allotted, we will be set apart with Christ. And it is such a certain reality that the scripture says that we are seated with him in the heavenlies today. We are seated with him in the heavenlies. It is a done and finished work. We're not working to get there. We are there. And because we are there, we have a great responsibility to the name of Christ. And that responsibility, 1,000% has to do with how we relate to each other. How we live together as the saints. That's it. And I know that it hurts the high horse headiness of all these high point theologians who love to get the rile up and everybody excited about certain doctrinal clarities. Doctrinal clarities are important, but if doctrinal clarities don't come with life-changing intimacy, they're worthless. Because the Pharisees had doctrinal clarity. A lot of people throughout history have doctrinal clarity. But ultimately the doctrinal clarity comes undone. We really see what truly they have been given by the Lord when they refuse the instruction, the simple instruction of the scripture. And if you don't like that, may the Lord open your eyes and birth you anew. You have not been born again. If you do not yield to the authority and the submission. And you may not like it and you may know in your mind, I'm not going to listen to that right now. I'm being obstinate. That's fine. But you cannot subject your mind. We cannot subject our will and our opinions over the instruction of Scripture. Scripture alone is the authority. I said it last week. I'm going to say it over and over again. And beloved, I've been studying the last two, three weeks and getting preparation for our midweek in the book of James. In the book of James, if you're not prepared to sit still and to rest in the sufficiency of the gospel and you are not really firmly planted in understanding the reality of what Christ has done for you, if you read the letter to, of James in a fleshly way, you will be horrified. Just like with John's writings. You will lose your joy, you will lose your center. But, but beloved, we must consider how we are honoring God every day, every moment of our lives. And I'm going to tell you right now, if we're not investing, let me say this positively, investing. That, that statement has a positive connotation. The opposite of that would be wasting. <laughs> if we're not investing in the lives of one another, we're wasting. If we're not encouraging, we're destroying. If we are not edifying, we are murdering. You see these opposites? If we are not considering, we are ignoring. 3 John. That's why I wrote it. Where are you getting all this stuff? From the Bible. You know where you won't find it? In any commentary ever printed in the world. Why? Because commentary is not authoritative. James Tippin's preaching and thoughts are not authoritative. The Word of God is. An exposition is a real-time, experienced, one-on-one, one-on-thirty, one-on-a-thousand, thousand-on-a-thousand, whatever it may be in our relationship intimacy, exposition is experienced in real-time coupled with the real reading of the Word of God in your life every single day, carried along by the Spirit, that your Spirit, that is the same as my Spirit, our Spirit together, agrees with one another because it is the Spirit of God when the Word of God is unpacked. You don't need to know what someone a thousand years ago thought about Third John in order for you to understand it today. God the Holy Spirit will teach you very clearly. And if you do need to know, then those commentaries and that historical theology is more authoritative than the Word of God itself. And I say burn it to the ground. It's a hobby horse, beloved, at best. Now see... I cannot stand in this pulpit and tell you that Christ is preeminent and then tell you that you must buy my book in order to understand Christ. Or to tell you that if you just follow the footprints, don't follow the footprints of men. The only men that you can follow are the apostles and the only letters they wrote 
is right here. Now, when we get to James, and when we get to 1st and 2nd Timothy in a little bit on Sunday mornings, that is going to become so amazingly annoying to us that Tippins is going to, I mean, you guys are going to lie. I'm just going to come in about 12 minutes after the service, after the preaching starts, so he can get through with this little diatribe about the sufficiency of Scripture, and then I'll come in, you know. Some of you are going to want to come in late. Live stream, okay, still going on about the Sola Scriptura, and about right now, you know. And I'm saying that in a joking way, but beloved, why are we such idolaters? And even worse than that, sometimes we become idolaters to think that we know more than the Bible. Well, I studied, listen, how many times have I read the book of James? I don't know. Is the number of times you read the Bible. I've had a man, a man in his 70s, appeal to the authority of the sufficiency of the number of times he read the Bible. And that as when I became his age and had read the Bible as many times as he had, I would know better that what I was saying was nonsense in relation to the grace free and sovereign of Christ. I read the Bible over 400 times. Well, whoop de doo I've eaten 50 billion M&M's, but you don't see me walking around with chocolate hands. You know, what's it got to do? It's irrelevant. What does it have to do? I don't know how many times I've read James. It's probably one of the first books I read when I learned to read. That was my name. (laughs) So I've been reading, I've probably read James at least once or twice or three times a year since I was able to read. And I could read it three. So we've been reading a long time. What does it have to do with anything? Nothing. What's authoritative? This guy or this guy? This guy. John, it is my thing. Of all things that I neglect in Scripture, I do not neglect John's writing. The Johannine epistles, the Johannine writing is my deal. It's my job. It's my graduate work. It's my postgraduate work. I love it. I love John and I love John's writing. I could just have, well, I do. I have books. I have bound books of just John stuff. John's Gospel, John's Letters, and the Apocalypse. And I read it over and over again. And every day of my life, I read something out of John. Every day. Every day. That doesn't make me right. It doesn't make me the expert. It doesn't make me, well, because I've studied John, you know, 75,000 times, I know what I'm talking about. No, that don't mean nothing. How many doctors have been studying medicine 75,000 times and they're still giving you the silly old stuff that doesn't work for your silly old problems? How about mechanics? How many times do we take the car back for the squeaky noise? How many parts do we need? How about eyeglasses? I'm finally going to my little, what do you call those things? Old man glasses. They're in the mail. Because I got to the point a couple of weeks ago I'd have three pairs to see here and there and otherwhere. I just don't, you know, I finally went to the doctor Monday. Mr. Tippins, you got three options. You can buy three pairs of glasses and do like this, or you can get the ones that have different degrees depending on where you're looking. So I'm probably going to have to get some like Sally Jesse. Move them down like this. Anyway, you know, they can't get it right. It's never going to, things are going to change. The Word of God is the authority. And one man's interpretation is not authoritative because the Bible has not changed one bit since it was penned. The Word of God remains forever. Now, do I read? Let me just go ahead and settle this. Beloved, I don't read as much as I used to, but there was a time I read a book a week. There was a time I could, I could literally read 50 to 100 books a year because I can read fast. I taught myself how to speed read. I can read very, very fast. Very, very fast. Does it make me special? No, it makes me waste a lot of time. Because it's not beneficial. If it's necessary, then you must have it. If it's authoritative, you must read it. If it will give you clarity, then you better grab a copy. What do you want? The foundation of the truth being taught by the Spirit of God. To walk together. I think every generation ought to start fresh. I know that sounds stupid, but every generation ought to start fresh and see what is being shown in the Word of God. Because that's half of our problem now. We walk in this world 
as if we know something when all we're doing is regurgitating somebody else's journey. We're just a slave to another man's ideas, slave to another man's prayer life, slave to another man's worship, and we call it our own. You don't think I like plumber and the Psalms? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I can weep and cry. But you know what's crazy? I can weep and cry when I read his commentary. But when I read that psalm, I don't see it the same way. So until I read the psalm and it gives me the same heart, I should stay away from plumber. Just an example. Just an example. Don't listen to me. Listen to the Christ. Don't listen to me. Listen to the word. Let's hear the word of God this morning. The elder to the beloved Gaius whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as all is well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they, give, they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And we'll stop there. I'm not going to go beyond that today. I might be there again next week. So we looked last week, we, we reminded ourselves, we're reminded here, we need to learn to read the scripture and just think about it. Just listen. Listen to the word of God. What is being said? The elder to the beloved Gaius. This is a letter written to a specific man. We already know that John in this letter already says, I've written to the church already. He's already written a general letter to this church. But Diotrephes won't listen to me. You know what that means? Diotrephes probably got the letter, and as one of the elders of the church, he hid it. <laughs> he probably wouldn't let the church hear it. Because when the church hears the apostles, and the elders are going against the apostles, the church has got to say, foul. Foul. What do you mean by that? Explain what you're trying to say. Would you clarify? Maybe are you in error? You know, it's okay to have these conversations. We're not gods. Elders are sheep tasked with an impossible task that only God himself can do, which is to cause us through migraines and frustrations and everything else to stand before the church and to prepare our hearts to teach and to expound upon Scripture. Not to make life application out of every pack of Kool-Aid. Not to make pleasantries out of every verse. But to emphasize the finished work of Christ in every breath that when we get to these teachings, we know why we're doing them and to what end and to whose glory. And so when we see that John addresses himself as, a, as, as an elder, we need to think about what elders are. We need to think about what elders do. When we think about Gaius, we don't have to know who he is. It's not important to know where he is in the historical timeline. He's not an important figure, except that he's, a, he's the elect of God and a sheep of Christ that John loved in truth. You know, we worship in spirit and we worship in truth. We love in truth and we learn in truth. This is not new. This is why we went through the Gospel of John before going through the Epistles of John. Because in order to understand the foundation of what John is writing, we have to have already understood the Gospels. And moreover, we need to understand John's writing because his audience didn't change. I'm not preaching to a different congregation every week. I'm teaching and talking to you. I'm having a conversation that seems one-sided, but it's not one-sided. The Spirit of God, through the exposition of the Word, is causing you to think. It's rhetorical. It's not interaction, but it is interactive. And the Spirit of God teaches us. So we see these words, I love in the truth. Oh, he said that in 2 John. Oh, Jesus said that in John's Gospel. Beloved. So we have, no, we have no way of saying, well, Gaius probably, he was, this is evangelistic. No, it's not evangelistic. He didn't say heathen, unconverted. He didn't say, Gaius, you dumb as a bag of tater chip, lost man. He didn't call him a goat or a dog or a pig or anything else. He says, beloved, beloved Gaius, beloved I'm praying for you. This is what elders do. They pray for the body. They pray for those who they care for. They're not concerned with them, their own lives as much as they're concerned with the lives of those that they care for. 
Shepherding is an intimate, spiritual praying and caring and overseeing through the teaching of the Word. And it is not fun sometimes. It's not fun. When I wake up and my inbox is slammed with ultimatums, it's not fun. But when my patience runs out, I don't move. Why? Because I've been commanded by God to shepherd and to correct with all patience. That means it never ends. And all gentleness and all long-suffering. Because it is Christ and the Spirit of God. It is God the Father. It is God who will transform the hearts. The elders have to be reminded in the brokenness that God brings us sometimes, the humility that God bestows upon us in our own lives, where we know we will, will accomplish this, and we, we, do the two, we, do the little, we do the little addendum like James says to do, if the Lord wills. But this is just lip service, beloved. I'm being honest. I'm going to do this. Oh, if the Lord wills. And then when it doesn't go, Lord, what's wrong with you? I mean, you know, we are liars to our own souls sometimes. It's like sometimes people say, we're just going to claim it in the name of Jesus. No, I'm not going to claim it. I'm going to claim the will of the Lord. Because whatever the will of the Lord is, I don't want to claim anything against His will. Because I promise you, as much as I would like A, if A is not the will of the Lord, I don't want it. If God has X for me or Y, then I'll take that. I don't want it. I'm not going to act like I'm just all spiritual. Yes, whatever you have, Lord, I'll take. I mean, there's trepidation in a prayer like that, right? But we pray for one another. Are you praying for one another? Are you praying for one another? Beloved, pray for one another. Pray for us. Pray for the elders and leaders of your church. Pray for each other. What? That we may go well in life. That we may love one another in truth. That we may be humble and quiet and serving. See, the joy of the elder, I could go to Hebrews 13 right now and, and really talk about that. I mean, what does it say? And this, it sounds so sad to, to say this because it seems self-serving, but it's not self-serving, it's self-deprecating. It says, obey your leaders, verse 17 of Hebrews 13, and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account to God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that is of no advantage to you. Why? I said this last week. Because when I'm groaning, I don't pray. I'm just going to be honest with you. When I'm groaning, oh my, I don't pray because everything in my tongue is imprecatory. <laughs> in my conscience. Lord bless them. That's code word for destroy them. I mean, you know, we can say the right thing, but sometimes we're deceived. We don't really know what our heart really says. So we, we, have, to, we have to be honest with the Lord by being honest with ourselves, by being honest with each other. And there's this, there's this, weird, there's this weird idea in, in, in our culture that pastors are these extremely spiritually calm people. We have, to, we have to do that. We have to practice that spiritual calmness. But we still have flesh. Jesse and I spoke for a few hours yesterday, and I said, Jesse, I'm telling you, brother, brother I, 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 sometimes I need to remind these people that I've got a flesh. He said, don't do it. <laughs> you know, don't do it. But I hear you, brother. I mean, if I had the authority to make a whip, see, I'm grinning on the inside. I can't stop. I mean, that would be so funny, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be funny for some of us. But, I mean, one of the greatest damages that I ever did to another brother in the faith is when I was in a meeting and I had just remained silent for weeks and weeks and weeks and this, this ridiculous, I mean, stupid division was going on with personalities and people accusing, nobody sitting down, and we're having this meeting and there's a hundred people in there and I finally just stood up and I pounded my hand on the table and I said, I've had enough, you know. See, now that was an act right there, but it made you jump, like, what the world? And this man, this dear brother in the faith, got up and walked out. 
And I hurt his conscience because I acted in anger. It's like Moses, you know? So what should I have done? Well, I was 20... I don't know how old I was. 23? Shouldn't even have been in the ministry. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You want a break, son? Ordained. I can take a break. I mean, you know, that's how people looked at it. What I should have done... And what I would do now is to say, guys, let's just pray, hear the word of the Lord, and then we're going to dismiss. We'll talk about this another time. Before I get out. Who are you? Well, you can stay a fight if you want. I'm going home. And everybody else can leave. You know, there's no fight when everything's dismissed. When the bell rings in the ring, the referee goes, and if you keep fighting, you disqualify. That's what I should have done, but I didn't. But I hurt the man's conscience because I pushed myself, I was pushed, and then I just let it roll. And I felt good for a moment. And then I felt horrible for three years trying to reconcile with this guy. He never saw me the same way. See, if elders get in the flesh, they're not praying, they're not wishing well. It's not good for us when we are causing stress and aggravation in the body. And that's the context of this letter. And some people are saying, wow, this seems like some of the things that are going on amongst some of us. Well, guess what? Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. It's the same junk that went on in the garden, the same junk that went on with Cain and Abel. Why did Cain kill his brother? Because his brother's works were righteous, and he hated it. Well, wait a minute. How can brothers hate one another? Because sometimes our flesh just says, I'm sick of this guy. But what does the elder rejoice in? Verse 3, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Now, we already know the context. We already see 2 John. There was, 2 John was dealing with the learning aspect of, of holding fast to the true gospel and not, not being willing to tolerate by saying, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay to have alternative gospel truths that violate the truth of Christ. We can be patient, we can correct, but when people double down on their error, we can't allow them to continue to teach it. But who in their pocket or their pocketbook has right now the timeline of measurement to when God says that's enough? Who has that? Who has that app on their phone? The God patient app. Well, what is it? A thermometer? And as it gets up, God's patience is out. When he gets to the top and dings, he's like, okay, that's all that the Lord's going to allow. What is 7 times 70? Well, it's 490, for those of you who don't know. 7 times 7 is 49 plus a 0. That's 490. That's even if a literal time. I don't know anybody in my life who's sinned against me 490 times. But it's perfection of perfection is what that means. Continually. Seven is a perfect number. Twelve is a perfect number. Eleven is a perfect number. In Semitic languages and history and writing. And in all those types of things. So just keep forgiving. Because what does 1 Corinthians 13 say? What does Paul command? Love keeps no record of wrong. So when someone else comes and is walking in the truth and they sin against us, we have clear things that teach us how we're supposed to handle it. And then when we resolve this issue, and a few months down the road, this same issue is coming up again, we what? We treat it as a new issue. And there are some exceptions to that. There are some undercurring things that have to be handled swiftly. But who gets to oversee that? The Word of God gets to oversee that. Who gets to administrate that? The elders get to administrate that. In wisdom. Otherwise, we're all working through emotions. The learning of the gospel is not what John is really rejoicing in. He's rejoicing in that this man, Gaius, was walking in the truth. Not only did he know the truth and proclaim the truth and have the truth, he was walking in the truth with God's people. So he was walking together in intimacy. He was with Diotrephes who was doing the exact opposite. 
But Gaius was not causing problems by continually dealing with the fact that Diotrephes isn't doing his job. He's not being nice. He's being ugly. He's acting strange. He's keeping things for himself. I mean, did John write a letter to the whole church? No, he wrote a letter to another man. Another leader in the church, Gaius. I didn't get any response from Diotrephes, and I've heard through the grapevine that he's doing all sorts of crazy stuff, but himself and won't acknowledge our authority, so now I'm writing to you, beloved. And I'd say it probably took eight to nine months for that exchange to take place. Patience. Elders rule and oversee and lead and shepherd by example. And the primary example there, first and foremost, is the truth of the gospel. And the second example is humble patience. When I lose my patience, I destroy the foundations of everything around me as a human being. I'm serious. And for those of you who've known me my whole life, there's a reason there is the word tip and spit. It's not something that you will ever get over. By the Lord's mercy, I want to stay humble and calm, patient. I rejoiced. You were walking in the truth. You should rejoice even in, how, how is it that we get to walk in the truth of love? How do, we, how do we get to do it? Is that when everything's going good? No. When everything's going good, it's fake. It's false. See, that's the love we have at the ball game. Go, go, go. Oh, we love you. Love you too. What's your name? All right, whatever. (laughs) And we hate the opposite side, but they love each other. They hate us, you know, the red and the blue. The bands are playing. And it's a contest on the field. You get in the parking lot, throwing eggs and rocks, slicing tires. I've seen that. That's what sporting events do after a day at the ball game. Brings out the best in humanity. There's not love. Oh, I love, you know, whatever. It's not love. It's an affinity. It's a temporary psychological ecstasy. It's some type of endorphins and things going on in the brain that makes us feel this closeness to somebody that we don't even know what they look like if we saw them tomorrow because their face is painted today. Same thing online, same thing in everywhere. Listen, you want to know if you can love somebody? Get close to them. Be in covenant relationship with them. And the one moniker, the one reality, that's their moniker, the one reality that is guaranteed amongst the body of Christ is that we're going to have 99% of the time something to not love about one another. I promise you. I promise you. So when we walk in the truth of love, when we walk in love as John's epistles are really emphasizing, it is because we have opportunity to have division. Love is the covenant commitment like Christ and his covenant commitment to the elect, we also have a covenant commitment to one another. And even when one of us is knuckleheads, we don't get to make judgment on their souls. We can judge their profession. We can judge their lifestyle. We can judge their attitudes. But we don't pass judgment against them. And when you can't get anywhere on your own, then you obey the oversight of the elders who are teaching the truth in love, you see. And that's John tried to get that going here in, his, in this first letter to Diotrephes, and Diotrephes said, yeah, I don't like John anymore. I'll just, this is the way I think about it. I'm just going to do it my way. Now, beloved, I'm just going to do it my way is the American dream. Isn't it? I'm going to do it my way. Is it Frank Sinatra that's saying that? I'll have it my way. You know, I can see him singing it. That's not the Christ's way. Christ said, my way is your way, Father. 
The body says, my way is your way, Lord. And love says, I don't demand my own way. 1 Corinthians 13. It says it right there. I'm not making this stuff up. And see, that's one of the reasons you need to be reading the Bible. Because if you're not reading the Bible, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm talking about things that are biblical, and then all of a sudden you're not reading the Bible, you don't know if I'm talking about things that are biblical or not. Don't take my word for it. Never take my word for it. Ever. I mean, you should trust based on the decades of evidence of, of, of things. You can, you can have a good high probability. Tippins probably is telling me the truth. But I just want to make it sure that I know what he's saying. Because guess what? If I teach you something and you haven't seen it in the word, you haven't learned it. You just know what I think. Let me say that again. If I say something, you go, yep, I agree with that. And then you go out and you share it. You haven't learned it. You're just repeating it. I could teach you some French phrases today, but you don't know French. You might not even know what it means. <laughs> and they have some crazy stuff. Just like we do. All languages have weird colloquialisms. That if we translate them literally, like, what? And you got to be in the culture. The way of love. The way of love is patient, kind, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. You see that? We don't insist on our way. I want this house to be the way I want it. I want this Whatever to be the way I want this food to be the way I want it. I'm just going to take that for a little bit. We treat each other, we treat the world sometimes as Christians as if we deserve to get what we pay for. We don't, do we? There's nothing wrong with saying this is incorrect. Be kind about it, be patient. We don't know what these people are going through. I know all the wait staff in this entire county. By first name. And I know a lot of what's going on in their lives. I could never be rude to any of them. Because I don't work as hard as they do. I really don't. Physically. It is not irritable. See, that's when you know your sin when you're irritable. That's how fast do you get irritable, you know? It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. That means it holds it. It just stands under it. It doesn't have a limit. It bears all things. It believes all things. If somebody tells you something, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry, I believe this way. I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. You believe it. See, we believe it. We accept it. Otherwise, we're the deceiver. By saying, yes, Christ laid his life down for me, but I'm not about to believe what just came out of your mouth. It rejoices. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. It never ends. Preaching will end. Tongues will end. Knowledge will end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. That's funny that Paul puts that in the midst of that instruction there about love. And he's talking to the biggest knuckleheads of the entire New Testament, and that is the church of Corinth. Who, when you say, dumber than a bag of potato chips makes the potato chips look bad because they were acting and living in a manner non-congruent with the gospel at all. They were not bringing in heresies concerning the person of Christ, that we're not being inundated by the Judaizers or the Gnostics or any other that nonsense. They were literally, arrogantly hating one another and tolerating destruction of intimate, intimacy through sinful behavior. So we've got Galatians where they were doing some, they were, in, they were inviting, or not, they weren't inviting, they were considering and adopting heretical gospels. And then Corinth, when they were tolerating and walking in heretical living. 
And then you got John. See, John's the smartest of them all. Why? Because he lived the longest. <laughs> he was the oldest one. He's the only one that didn't die of a martyr's death. And he wrote, after years of reading all the other letters, and he was an old, 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 old man. There's a lot of wisdom there. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, if that's true of the elder, what is true of our Lord and Savior? No greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And people have even argued recently. Well, that's not what it means. Yes, it is. It says it right there. In the context, beloved, verse 5, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. The faithful thing that you do by walking in love is to serve each other. Serve each other. And at the minimum, we can pray. Beloved, take out a napkin and write down a few names in the morning when you get up that come to your mind. And just pray for them. Doesn't have to be. You can just say, Lord, see this napkin? See these people here? I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. Please, God, just in some way cause me to be considerate of them that you may have your will in their lives. That you could do that. Or if you know some specifics, Father, help them in this circumstance. We have a lot of people in our congregation that are hurting emotionally right now. Loss and pain, fear. We don't have time for petty stuff that can be handled patiently through intimate teaching and correction. And don't ever, ever think it's okay to give an ultimatum to Jesus Christ. Well, if this is the way it's going to be, I'm not, don't ever say that to me because I will get in my flesh. And then you won't know it, and then I'll calmly say what I'm screaming behind my mind. That is selfish. You see, see how quick that is? Here's a fine, it's just, a, it's like a piece of tissue paper. That if I spit too hard, it's going to break through. We have to be careful, beloved. We don't give ultimatums. It's wicked. We are not God's soldiers. We are God's children. Work it out. It's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts with these brothers, strangers as they are. See, this isn't, this isn't even an issue of the local church. But here's the crazy thing. What Diotrephes was doing in his refusal to love the missionaries, the saints abroad, the saints on Facebook, the saints down the street, or if you can find them, you know. But those who profess the gospel, he was refusing to love them out of some sense of pharisaical this pharisaical attitude of like, well, I'm just going to be so pure, I'm not going to adopt, I'm not going to allow any evangelists. You ever felt like that? I felt like that. I mean, I probably get, I don't want to exaggerate, let's just say three a month. I get three emails a month from the church website, people inviting themselves to the pulpit. Yep. And I get probably four times a year FedEx, like next day delivery, these packets of things that come and they're supposed to be handed out in the assembly. Both in inserts. They're either political or whatever. And sometimes I get letters in the mail from people that want to come share the gospel with the church. And I'm thinking, we share the gospel every week. Why do I need you to come? And so when someone calls me and makes himself available to come share something, I automatically think, heretic, I'm not going to lie. Heretic, salesman, charlatan, liar, idiot. I mean, this is my thinking. I don't want to put these idiots in here, you know. And by the way, I'm not talking about anybody who sent me an email or message this week. <laughs> I'm just saying in general. I haven't read my messages this week, so you're off the hook. Um, oh, so you can't even say anything today. But I think that's where Diotrephes was. But more importantly, I think it suited him better in this way. And we'll see, this in, we'll see this next week. It suited him better because there's nothing worse than having the senior elder show up who has more wisdom. Can you imagine John showing up? And James Tippins like, I've been reading your writing. 
for 30 years. I'm not letting you teach. <laughs> you see, I'm not giving you support. No, we're not supporting John. I mean, I'm more of an expert than he is on himself. I mean, that's the arrogance of our world. That's, that's the stage, the grandstanding of ministry. Beloved, don't esteem me except that I esteem Christ, please. And don't take that as a humble brag. I know my flesh. But Diotrephes likes to put himself first. And we've corrected that, but he doesn't like our authority. So now I'm telling you, Gaius, you take the mantle. You serve these evangelists. You take care of them. They're strangers. Much worse would this letter be. It would not be so quick. All John wanted is Gaius to support these missionaries and to make sure he understood that Diotrephes was acting like an idiot. Selfish. That's all they wanted. So what you do? Had this been an issue of infighting in the church? Had there been division? Had people been coming against? It would have been a whole lot longer. It would have been First John all over again. Which John deals with that, doesn't he? They testify. Who were these people? They came. The report came back to John, verse 6. These strangers that you didn't really know, but they're faithful brothers, and you've loved them. This is your walk. This is what I'm talking about, John says. You're walking in the truth. This gives me great joy to know that you are taking care of these people, even against somebody else who says you shouldn't. And they have testified to your love before the body, before the assembly. See, I've had many conversations throughout the years about how, how should like-minded congregations associate and affiliate and have intimacy with one another. And everybody wants to do some formal something. There's no such thing as a formal something. That's why I am, I'm at the end of my wits with denominationalism and affiliations and associations and labels and all these things. They don't mean anything anymore. Do we believe the gospel? Are we the people of God? Do we hold to, the, do we hold to the, uh, the very next thing? Do we hold to the faith once for all delivered to the saints? The very next letter, you know, verse 3 of chapter 1. Do we hold to that? Praise the Lord, we're the saints. Oh, you do too? Well, we're a family together even though we have different locations, different issues, different, we're together. So we can pray for one another, we can send to one another, we can do different things together in the context as God has opened the door of opportunity. But we don't need to create them. We don't need to create them. When's the last time you heard from another congregation testifying to the love of another congregation that wasn't in some denominational newsletter? And only then it was because they took up an offering and it got put on the front page. There's a groundbreaking ceremony. There's a new orphanage. And I'm not belittling these things. I mean, these are necessary things that we should do as human beings. But when was there a time where a church without was supported and helped by a church with? You would do well. I find this interesting. Beloved, verse 2, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it is going well with your soul. You are well in your soul. You have the truth. You are well with Christ. I pray that your life and your health may go. That's a good prayer. Now all of a sudden, we see the latter part of verse 6. You will do well. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Now think about that for a second. How are we to do anything worthy of God? Well, what, is, what does the gospel say? What does the good news say? The good news says that Christ gave all for the sake of the elect. Paul reiterates that continually. And it was compulsory for him. He had to. He couldn't help himself. He would endure all things for the sake of the elect. He would endure all punishment, all ostracization, all imprisonment, beatings for the sake of the elect. That their joy may be full. 
As we get into the letter of James midweek in a few weeks, and, and you know, we go into Timothy, we see Paul writing to Timothy. We see Paul writing in his second letter where he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm at the end of my life. I'm at the end of my ministry. I have so much to do. He pleads with Timothy to bring John Mark, who he sort of debated with what? He sort of debated with um, Barabbas. I mean Barnabas, excuse me, not Barabbas. With Barnabas about John Mark's presence on the back journey through their missions. He, just, he was concerned about his presence there. There's this new guy. Because planting churches in the first century was not this extremely exciting, uh, publicly accepted thing. It was an incognito type thing. It was something that had to go on sort of like guerrilla style. You got in there, you got it going, and as it grew, it got attention. And when it got attention, they were arrested, killed, and martyred. So you didn't put an ad out saying, we're looking for church plant families. <laughs> Do you believe this gospel? Then meet us here tomorrow. No, they had secret symbols that they would use for underground meetings and things of that nature. He's saying, do well. You do well to send them on the journey in a manner worthy of God. Christ gave his all. The apostles gave their all. They wrote and said, hey, pray for me. Help, you know, pray for the Lord to give us. What does Paul write often? A clean conscience. Paul suffered covetousness in his spirit. And God would not remove covetousness from Paul's spirit. So Paul prayed often that he would have a pure conscience and be content. See, he asked them to pray for that. The grace of Christ is sufficient for me. So then he says, what does he say to the Philippians? Then I can endure all things in Christ who gives me strength. All things. We've all got our sins. And those sins take precedence oftentimes over and beyond our intimate obligations to be in the assembly. To help each other as the assembly. To encourage one another in the truth. Because that's what Christ has done for us. Christ has given his life for us. Send them on a journey and send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Verse 7, for they've gone out for the sake of the name, they've they've accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers in the truth. See, remember the last letter? If we support false teachers, we're actually supporting false teaching. If we bring attention to false teachers, we're actually supporting, supporting their false teaching. We support truth and true teachers. We're supporting true teaching we need to give we need to give all of our time and all of our prayers to the positive approach of edifying the body and proclaiming the gospel not the not gospel correction comes as the gospel is proclaimed and someone else comes up proclaiming blah 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 wait a minute that's not right I find it very odd in our culture that there are more people with more knowledge of error than there are with people with the knowledge of truth. And the only knowledge that they have of truth sometimes is that it's not this. So their knowledge of the truth is the antithesis of what is not true rather than the clear teaching of Scripture. So now we go right back to my introduction, which is why I'm going to beat this horse till it comes back to life. We must be in the Word of God. And how many times this week have we read the Bible? Not enough. I don't care how little or more you read it. It's not enough. It's okay. This is not a guilt trip. This is a promise. See, that's the point. That's the cool thing about the Word of God, even in this. This is not a guilt trip. Love one another as Christ has loved the church. Well, I I can try. How about I just do when I have opportunity? And if I don't do for a week and I do for one day, great, I've done that. We, we, we don't have to do so much to the point that we're laboring to, the, to, to, to sickness and to mental health problems and everything. 
Rest in the gospel and the Lord will take care of the rest. If we read the word of God, the the word of God promises the spirit of God will teach us and then we will be what? We will be encouraged to be. And we will grow in the knowledge of grace. We will become worshipers in a greater way. What is the whole idea of worship? It's about gratitude. Thank you, God. Worship is thanking God. Praise is thanking God for who He is. Acknowledging Him for who He is and what He's done for us. There is so much praise to be done. And the living sacrifice of that praise for the elect is when we are living in unity in the gospel and we're living in intimacy even when things get hard. But we live in a culture that says, I don't have to do that. That's the spirit of diatrophies. I don't have to do that. I don't care, is what it really says. I care more about Jesus than I do about you. How's that sound? Does that even sound right? It's Antichrist. Christ gave his life for the church. Sometimes we think, well, we got some knuckleheads in the church. Good, they're still here. And when we stir the pot at the cost of the peace and the hope of the rest of us, we are the dividing ones. And beloved, it makes the elder grumble. Christ. Christ has done it all. He has set us apart Made us holy. That's the same word. He has justified us. He has sanctified us. We are holy. Because He took our place. We are righteous because He credited us with His own righteousness. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. That's John's... Exhortation in verse 11. We do not need. We do not need to be like the world. We do not have to be like the world. Listen not to our own passions and logic and reason, but let us listen to the gospel of free and sovereign grace. Let us listen to the truth that Christ is our righteousness And that what He has done has brought us together for the sake of His glory. Beloved, it is a fragile thing, this intimate earth dwelling that we have called life. But eternal life is not fragile at all. It is secure. It is certain. And it is a guarantee. Let's prepare our hearts for that as we consider each other. Let's pray. Father, help us to not follow the ways of this world. Jesus taught us how to pray when he said to ask you to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. Father, to remind us that we are forgiven in Christ. Lord, as we take the Lord's table each week, We know that in our limited understanding of the amazing glory that is revealed in the death of Christ, Father, we were not there, but yet we can see clearer than those who were. Father, help us to be at peace in our hearts with the joy that is ours in Christ. And Lord, help us to be sufficiently at peace in your sovereignty over all the matters of life and faith. Your divine power is all we need. And your divine power is found within the pages of your word that is written to your people for our good and for your glory. Calls us to meditate on it day and night that we may be fruitful for the kingdom, which means fruitful 
for one another in the faith. Father, help us to take this table as a reminder of whose we are and what it cost. And Lord, more importantly, or as important, that we are one body in Christ Jesus. While there are so many that claim your name who do not know the truth, Lord, we alone should be those who are closest to one another. So that when we preach our gospel, there is an uncanny resemblance to the love of Christ that we have for one another. And so, Lord, we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.